but the blood of Jesus. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, where I was at this morning. Let me just complete the first point of my sermon that I started this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. And if you're able to stand, stand and read together with me the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. It's in the New Testament. Written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Chapter 6. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Boy, that's definitely true. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm talking about moral backbone. Being able to stand up for Jesus Christ. We say, well, anybody can do that. You can do it here in church easy. Of course, most of us profess Christ. But you get out among the world, out where the woolly boogers are at. Sometimes it's a little bit different. Sometimes our fear grips us. How many's ever gone door knocking and a little afraid of who's going to be on the other side? Raise your hand. I always picture sometime a guy weighing about seven, seven foot tall and weighing about 500 pounds, have tattoos all over and no shirt on. Looking, what do you want, man? I say, I don't want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes we can be intimidated by the world. Remember that Christ is a conqueror of all fears. That includes the fear of knocking on doors. And I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. Thank God for the wonderful truth. He said, I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. So anyhow, I'm talking about moral backbone. I introduced it this morning and given the reasons why we ought to have backbone. The reasons why. Father, bless the message today. Give us strength. Give us the unction of the Holy Ghost of God. Help us say only that which needs to be said. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. Over in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, For now we live if we stand in the Lord. If we don't stand in the Lord, we'll go to sleep on God. We'll fall down. We'll not be making progress in our life. And I said, thank God for oftentimes young people who rise to the occasion and put us to shame. A dedicated young person goes along. I preached this sermon many, many years ago when I first started preaching. I preached a lot of youth services. And I can take you to the place. I can't name the church right now. I preached this same sermon many, many years ago, moral backbone to a group of young people. And it was a joy to be able to see probably 40 or 50 young people in that church. And they all been, been well, 1969, maybe 68 through there somewhere and maybe a little earlier than that, but they went to church. It was a meeting place for young people. Now they have a lot of other places they want to go, and they want to hang out somewhere else. Wouldn't it be great to have 50 young people sitting over here on the right-hand side, amen, and the preacher? Amen. Wouldn't it be good to have 50 young people ready to go, so winning on any given week? And I know all the old people ought to go. But wouldn't it be good to have youth again? And sometimes God reaches down and touches a youth's heart. In the Bible, there's been youth that's been used. David was young. Daniel was young. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were young. They were not old men, even early, maybe late teens or maybe early 20s. But whenever it was, God used them mightily for him because they wouldn't bend and they wouldn't bow. They stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ at that day. They stood up for the Lord. 
And I'm glad there's some men and young men and young women, hopefully today, who still want to stand up for the Lord. Any old dead fish can float downstream, takes a live fish to go upstream. That's a statement somebody made years ago and how true it is. Any old dead fish can float downstream, but takes a live fish to go upstream. If you live, the Bible says, now if you live, you stand. For stand fast in the Lord. Not only will you stand, you'll stand fast in the Lord. If you live, if we live, if we live in the light of God's word and obey what He says, being saved by the grace of God and follow His precepts, it'd be amazing what God can do in our lives. So I said, number one, the reason for moral backbone is because of His excellency. The Bible says in Psalms eight, verses one and nine, how excellent is the name of the Lord. How excellent is the name of the Lord. He is the only one that can be said about. He is excellent in all of his ways. He is perfect in all of his ways. There's nobody who can compare with him. And so he's the long worthy preeminent one I mentioned this morning out of Colossians chapter 1. He's to have first place. He's not to have second place. He's to be first paramount in our life. So often he sort of drifts to the background of our lives. Sometimes, as I said, we use him as a leftover. Or if I have time, I'll do this for Jesus. But most of my time is dedicated to things that for me. Now, you won't say that publicly, and neither will I. But if you evaluate your calendar on any given week, what time do you give to the Lord? How much time do you give? If you tithe a whole week, what would it be? There's 168 hours in a week. If you tithe, that'd be 16.8 or 17 hours a week that you would give something to the Lord. If you tithe your money, which is 10% of your tithes and offerings, the Bible says, and that's 10%. If you tithe 10% of your week, you give him 16, 17 hours a week of service. Now you can count your prayer life, you can count your church attendance life, and you'll still find that you've got several, several hours left. What are you doing with the hours you have? Well, you can watch television, you can go shopping, you can go playing ball, you can go fishing, and I like all the above, amen? You can do a lot of things, but is there time devoted to follow through with the Lord sending up for Jesus Christ? He's looking for soldiers. And we many times are AWOL away without leave uh, for the mission of the Lord. He's been referred to as the captain of our salvation. And if he was given the orders tonight, what would he order? He gave the orders in the Great Commission. Why are you here? So I said this morning, Christ has given me purpose for life. The devil has never done any good thing good for me. I hate the devil. If I could get a hold of the devil, I'd beat the devil out of him. But I can't grab him. He's invisible. But he has a host of imps that's out here doing his work like the mafia is sort of spread out and you got your head a mafia guy and it's spread down from various branches. The devil has a whole army of imps and devils and uh, demons and all the powers of the underworld to take care of his business around the world. And don't you think he's not involved in the world of fire and fire? I said this morning he can't be everywhere at the same time, but I believe he can travel real fast. As a matter of fact, he's called the angel of light. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. Now, if the devil can travel that fast, maybe he can. He can be anywhere around the world very quickly. Now, I'm not saying he does. I'm not saying that's correctly theology. But light does travel at 186,000 miles per second. And the devil is the angel of light. But he is everywhere. He could be right here. Tonight. He could be sitting over here right next to Lester Horncoon. He could be sitting right beside him. He I know he's sitting over side of Paul. No, that wouldn't be right. He could say he's sitting there be on the other side of Paul. Oh, neat. There you go. But I believe, gives, I believe some devils go to church all the time. Matter of fact, they go to church more regularly than some church members. They, they attend church. They want church to be dead and dry. They want church to be a non-effect. They want to, and the devil wants to get victory. He wants to cause us to lose our fire, lose our desire, 
lose our walk with God and just sort of stumble along and endure, 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 endure. It's like walking in molasses. You stop making much progress, just sort of struggling along. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. And thanks to God for the victory he's given to us, and we are to live in that light. So what has Christ given to me? Number one, let's turn to the book of Philippians, please. Let's look at it right quickly, and then we'll, we'll go to the house if the Lord so desire. Chapter 1, verse 21. What has the Lord given to me? He's given me purpose of life. The Apostle Paul said it will. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I wot not. Remember, Paul was not a preacher when he started. He was a persecutor of the, of the, of the Christian faith. Uh, he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was uh, an educated man, a great outstanding man in his own field. But he was a killer of the, of the Christian faith, trying to wipe people out. And stood, I believe, at the grave of, at the, at the beating of Stephen when Stephen was put to death by stones. But the assault Paul, who was Saul before he got saved, was stricken down the road to Damascus, and God marvelously saved him. Now, I'm not saying you'll get knocked down by light. I'm not saying that you're going to fall off your horse like Paul did. But he met God face to face and cried out to God for what the purpose of all this was. And God and Saul had a confrontation there on the road to Damascus. And Saul referred to it several times in the writing to the book of Acts. I was on my way to Damascus. What for? He was going to persecute Christians and put them to death. That was his mission in life. But God changed his life, and by the divine grace of Almighty God, he was changed miraculously. And by being changed miraculously, he became the great Apostle Paul. Probably the greatest Christian that's ever graced this earth in all the world has been the Apostle Paul. He has given us 13 epistles in the Bible that I believe he wrote. I believe the Apostle Paul was the great missionary to the Gentile world and to the Asian field and circled all the way around to Rome and Spain. He was a preacher of the gospel. How did he get that way? It became his purpose for life. You don't have to be a preacher, but in one way, all of us are preachers. How beautiful are the feet of those that carry good tidings to peace. And all of us are to be preachers of the gospel, whether we be in the pulpit or in the pew, whether we be at work or wherever we're at to, to proclaim the word of God. I was giving a tract to a lady at 7-Eleven this week. I went to get a cup of coffee just to warm me up a little bit. And uh, she looked at me and smiled. And I said, well, let me give you something to make you smile even more. And I gave one of those trash, God loves you, and so forth. I said, it's a bad day around the world, but it's a good day with Christ. She said, thank you so much. As many folks say when you pass out a track, Miss Rachel talks about it quite often. Her and they pass out a lot. There are missionaries to Charlotte, what they are. We're sort of going to put them on staff, be missionaries to Charlotte and Harrisburg area. But uh, they, they pass out a lot of tracks. Some receive them, some don't. But thank God for those that do. I'm going to tell this little story. It won't take long to, say, to do it. We thought we may get rained out Saturday to go soul winning. Matter of fact, I was prepared for that. We was going to have a prayer meeting if it rained. But the guys were come ready to go soul winning, so they went. And I stayed here and prayed, wasn't able to go. But uh, I remember a little boy and his daddy. His daddy was a preacher. And they passed out tracks every week. And so it comes Saturday, and it was a bad storm came. And the daddy said, son, we won't go today. He said, but daddy, we ought to go pass out these, these tracks we got. We need to pass them out. Somebody needs to pass them out. And he said, son, we'll not go tonight because it's really bad weather. And there are times you just can't go and you can't do it. I understand that. But the little boy said, well, Daddy, can I go? Can I go by myself? And he said, well, I don't know, son. He said, Daddy, I'll, I'll be right back as soon as I pass out the tracks, and I'll come back, I promise you. He's about 11, 12 years old. His dad let him go pass out tracks that night years ago. And he knocked on doors and gave him a track and gave him a track. Next door, went all the way down the street. And he came to his last track. 
She said, well, I'm about to get them all given away. I'm going to give one more away, and I'm going to the house. And he knocked on the door. And nobody answered the door. He just knocked on the door again. He said, I know there's somebody in there. He knocked on the door, kept pounding on the door. And after a while, a lady came to the door and said, son, what do you want? He says, ma'am, I've got something I want to give you before I go to the house. It's a gift. It's a track. tells you, God loves you. And she reached down and took that track. She said, son, thank you so much. And you'll never understand how much I really appreciate what you just gave me. You will never understand what you just did for me. The little boy said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did something. Whatever I did, thank you for that, taking my track. He went back to the house. His daddy was a pastor. They went to church on Sunday. And this, this woman was there, sitting on the back row. She raised her hand and waved at the preacher. He said, yes, ma'am. She said, could I say something? And he said, well, yes, ma'am. He said, there's a little boy who came by my house this week. I just come down from the attic. As a matter of fact, I tried to ignore the knock on the door. But somebody just kept on knocking. For some reason, the little boy felt like knocking on the door. She said, I heard the knock, but I didn't go to the door. But eventually I went downstairs and opened the door, and he gave me a track to tell me how to get saved. She said, I was upstairs in my bedroom. I had the noose already around the door. I had the, the table to stand on. I was going to commit suicide, getting ready to die. True story, getting ready to die. She said, I'm tired of life. And said, all of a sudden, she said, well... I'll go see who it is, and maybe somebody needs, needs something right quick, and I'll get that, and I'll go, by and go back and commit suicide. And when she went to the door, that little boy standing rainy night, gave her a track, and went home and told his daddy he gave his last track away. She shows up Sunday getting saved from a track. Don't you believe it can happen? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what, sometimes we get so sidetracked from the mission of life that we think other things are more important than telling souls. I believe you can be a witness every day of your life. You don't have to go on soul and be good if you did, but you ought to be a witness every day of your life. Everywhere you go, any time of day, anybody you run into, if you can give a track or a witness for the Lord or at least a good word for Jesus, it makes a difference. And I believe a little child can lead a lot of folks. Uh, young people can do a tremendous lot. And sometimes what old people can't do, a little child can crawl up on somebody's lap like a daddy and say, Daddy, I love you, but would you go to Sunday school with me? Would you go to Sunday school with me today? They may do more good in preaching a sermon. A little child shall lead them, the Bible says. And sometimes it's a child that makes all the difference in the world. But Paul said he had purpose for life, for to me to live is Christ. Why are you left here? What's your purpose? What's my purpose? I went through the call to preach. I don't think everybody's going to be called to preach, but finding my purpose for life. I think I found my purpose for life somewhere along the way. I hope I can fulfill my purpose. I have 10 goals in my life, and the 10th one is, is to finish well. Whatever that may entail in my life, I hope I can finish well and be able to finish my course for life. And he gave me a course to follow. He's given you a course to follow. He's got a purpose for your life. I don't know what your, your purpose is, but everybody's got a purpose for their life. The purpose is not to make a living. The purpose is to make a life. You have to make a living to feed your family, and God knows that. He's going to supply your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. But the fact is, he also wants us to make a life. And that life, why, why are we saved? Why are we saved tonight? To escape hell? Well, that's a good reason. The best thing could happen to most of us when we got saved if somebody takes that ball bad to hit us over the head and send us on to glory. That'd be the best thing. But for some reason, God left us here for a reason after we were saved. What is it? He wants you to find your purpose for life. And Paul said it will for to me to live as Christ and die as gain. My whole world, Rudolph Outlaw, our good friend who preached here many times, who's dead now in heaven, would preach a sermon on what is your world. 
He'd go through a list of things like liquor and sex, etc. If that's your world, you're going to come to an end of it and wish to God it wasn't your world. But if your world's Christ, it'll make all the difference in the world as you live your life. If you live, you'll stand fast in the Lord, make a difference in your life. And we all need to learn the lesson, including this preacher. But I have a purpose for life. Chapter 2, Philippians 5, or chapter 2 and verse 5. What's your, what's your purpose is to live for Christ. What's your plan? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let's read it together. Ready? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. How can I know the mind of Christ? I've got to know the Word of God. Through preaching, teaching, reading, however I can get the Word of God into my mind, I cannot think like Christ unless I know what He says. And the words, never a man spake like this man, His disciples said, and even, even some of the Pharisees said, that nobody has ever spake like this man. And He gave the words to His disciples to take to other folks after He left this world. His whole plan in life was to live for Jesus Christ and to have the mind of Christ. His whole attitude changed. His whole life changed on the road to Damascus. Turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans, chapter 10. Paul wrote the book of Romans, I believe, and a great epistle, great theological discourse on salvation, especially after chapter 3, declaring the whole world guilty before God. You come down to chapter 10 and verse 9. What's the plan of your life? That if thou shalt confess, that means to agree with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus... And thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Justified, sanctified, glorified. All three tenses in salvation. I, am, I have been justified, found not guilty. I am been sanctified, set apart for the master's use. I am, I am glorified already in the mind of God. That's when I'll have a new body and go to heaven. He said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be what? Shall not be ashamed. So have moral backbone to stand up for Jesus Christ. Is it easy? Not always easy. Sometimes it takes extra grace. Sometimes it takes a little prayer or more prayer. Sometimes it takes a reading of the Scripture to get boldness to be able to say what you want to say and when you want to say it. Let's be honest. How many of you have passed by an opportunity to witness somebody when you knew you should have witnessed to them, but you didn't or passed out of track and you passed that by? Have you done that? Most of us have, if you're honest about it. That's a shame. He said, don't be ashamed of me. When Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, they ripped off his clothes before they took him to the cross. It was, I believe he was start naked. They put, it, put the robe back on him before he was crucified. But I believe he was start naked in one period of time. He was literally put to shame. Cursed is the man that hangeth on the tree, the Bible says. And I believe the Lord Jesus was literally put to open shame and mockery. They laughed at him. They mocked him. But he was not ashamed to do it because he had an ultimate goal. He looked down 2,000 years from the cross and saw you and saw me, and knew that we ought to be involved in the work of the Lord. And he was willingly there on the cross of Calvary. He could have called 10,000 legions of angels down from heaven any time. They stood with drawn swords in the, in the heavens. They were ready. He didn't have to cry. All he could say was, or he could just think it. And thousands of angels would swoop down from heaven and destroy everybody on the Roman hill that day, or the Jerusalem hill that day, when he was crucified. Jesus stayed there on the cross. He didn't have to stay. But he stayed because he cared. He loved you. And he wanted to give you a purpose for life and a plan for your life. And when we live that plan, it makes a big difference in our life. We don't always fulfill what we ought to do. And sometimes we make mistakes along the way. I said this morning, if, it's, if, 
If you see me falter, push me on. If you see me stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, just shoot me. I don't want to turn my back on Jesus. He never turned his back on me. Remember when he said, and he went a little farther? They said, disciples, would you pray here with me in the garden? And the Bible says, and he went a little farther. He always went a little farther. He went farther than any man could go. He went all the way before the judgment bar of God, went before the very horrors of hell and the very destruction of people's life for eternity. Jesus Christ was going to take my hell, take my pain, take my punishment, took all that I'm supposed to endure. He took it under his own body and nailed it to the cross of Calvary. And thank God he's my Savior. Thank God he's not only my Savior, he's my Lord Jesus Christ. He's the master of our life. He's the master of our life. We're listening to instructions from the captain of our salvation, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us should be up and about the Father's business and all of God's people say it. We ought not to have vacant pews at church. You don't have to beg people to come to church. When they get right with God, they'll come to church. And I found it true. Don't try to beg Christians to come to church. It ought to be automatic on their, on their next radar. I just look oh, what time the church start. I'll be there. I've seen many a man get saved. I was thinking about Brother Overcast years ago. What's his, David? No, what's his first name? Uh, Max, thank you so much. Max Overcash. Two guys from this church knocked on his door and witnessed to him about Jesus Christ. They came back and told me, he said, I believe this man's interested. So the next day or two, I went down. Max was sitting in his living room. He had a slit, he had a can of beer. He slid it under the chair. He's going to try to hide it from the preacher, I guess. I said, Mr. Overcash, he said, yes, sir. He said, some of the guys come by and talk to you about Jesus. Would be hard if I come in and talk to you some more, so I'd be glad to have you. You sit right here, and after he slid the beer under the chair, and uh, he talked for a while, and I said, and I've told this many times over the years, I said, Max, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? He said, no. I said, would you like to go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, do you realize you're a sinner? He said, yes. I said, do you know what the Bible says? He said, no. I said, could I show you in the Bible what it means to be saved? He said, yes. So I opened up the Bible, and I read a scripture, in Romans 3.23. I said, do you believe that? He said, yes. I read Romans 6.23 and I said, you, he didn't say nothing else. I said, yes, no. He said, yes. I read through Romans 9, 10, 11. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to call on the name of the Lord? He said, yes. I said, well, would you be willing to pray and you to pray? He said, yes. I said, I'll pray first and you pray second. And so I prayed and I didn't hear much praying from him. I said, Max, did you pray? He said, I did. I said, yes. So I said, you got saved? He said, yes. If he died right now, would you go? He said, heaven. I said, you going to heaven? He said, yes. I walked out of that room that night and I thought, now did he really get saved? He said, I'll see you Wednesday night. And he and Mary come in on Wednesday night, sat back here in the church. Max Overcast became one of the best Christians in our church head. He made a public profession, got baptized, drove a bus for quite a while for more story, and uh, helped on a bus route. And Mary would sing and write songs and so forth. They were here for quite a few years before they moved to Missouri or Arkansas. Arkansas. But all I'm saying, he didn't have a lot of lengthy vocation, uh, vocabulary. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. But he answered the right questions the right way. And God gloriously saved him. You don't know who you're talking to. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe the next pastor of this church. Maybe the next preacher that may be called of God. Who we win to Christ, a little boy. You never know what these little preacher pals turn out to be in a few years. But we're trying to load the boat and keep things going in their life. But very quickly, the plan of life, Philippians 2, 5, chapter 3 and verse 12 of Philippians. Verse 12, chapter 3. 
Let's read verse 11. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained, either already perfect. But I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That's the Apostle Paul talking. But this one thing I do, he's got a point in his life. He not only has a plan, a purpose and a plan, he's got a point. He said, this one thing I do. Now remember, he's the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's a saved man. Remember, God called him into the Christian work. Remember, he went to the backside of a desert and God trained him for three years in the desert. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's his goal? What's his point? He said, the press toward the mark for the prize of the upward calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto us. He had a point in his life. Forget your setbacks. Forget the things you've done in the past. People dwell too much in the past. They live in the past. Well, what did happen? What could happen? What may happen? Forget your past and move forward. Press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, chapter 4, verse 13. Verse scripture that I memorized when I was a young preacher. I said it many, many, many times. Maybe you have too. In every new convert class that I've taught over the years, I've always given Romans or Philippians 3.13 or 4.13 as a text. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Moral backbone, backbone, moral backbone. Say it together, ready? I can. Say it again. And that's found in Philippians 4.13. So Paul had a purpose for his life for me to live as Christ. He had a plan, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I want to think like Christ. Be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good except the will of God. Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord, my life. I want to give it to you. Take my life and let it be completely consecrated to thee. May I give best to the Master. Forget your setbacks. Forget the sins of the past that are under the blood. Have you ever confessed sin over and over again, but you already, got, you already confessed it one time? Now, if you commit the sin again, you confess it again. But if you've confessed your sin and you've asked God's forgiveness, it is under the blood. Amen. You don't have to ask God over and over again. He's got sort of Alzheimer's disease, if that's a way of putting it. He says, I don't know what sins you're talking about. He forgets. He forgets all of our sins past once they've been confessed. When we get saved, He forgets all of our sins. But when I've sinned against God, I don't want to hinder the fellowship. So the fellowship's sweet. So if I continue living in known sin in my life, I've got to confess that to God, to agree with God that I've sinned. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah for the, the blood of Jesus Christ. So He gives a plan for our life to have His mind, to think like He thinks. And you won't get that unless you read through the Bible or read the Bible regularly or listen to it regularly or let's put it in your ear pods and listen to it. Instead of turn off the rock music and turn off the country music and put something in there that's edifying. Play Amazing Grace and read, let the Bible read to you. Some work through the Holy Word of God. That's far better than all the young, most young people are listening to. If you pulled the plug on most people's ear, what do they call earbuds or something like that, earbuds, ear, ear something, earache. When they when they get a earache, they listen to all that stuff. Boom, boom. When I sit and pull up beside somebody in a car and they're sitting in the driver's seat and they got these earbuds on, they go boom, 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 boom. The noise is 
when you're out louder than the earbuds, or they don't have them on. It can shake. You ever been inside a car? It shakes the whole car. What I want to do is turn mine up as loud as I could on Christian Radio. That's what I want to do. I want to turn up Amazing Grace as loud as I could. The mean spirit in me wants to do that. Now, I don't usually do it, but I, I attempted to do it. And they're over there bop, bebopping out. You get a bebopper say, but he'll change music. Amen. Let me say it again because I only got one amen. <laughs> if a bebopper gets saved, they'll change your music. It may take a while, but they'll change it. I've watched people go from hard rock to soft rock to punk rock. Little by little, they eased out of it until they got completely. Some people gave it up immediately. When you start listening to rock music or country, most country music is of the devil. Most of it's filthy and dirty. Always has a message of immorality or drunkenness, somebody said in Sunday school this morning. And it always does. Uh, what's that woman's name? Tommy Wynette saying D-I-V-O-R-C-E. That's spelled divorce. Why would you want to sing a song about divorce? You want to sing a song about the love of God, about Jesus dying on the cross. See, the devil one time was in the angelic course in heaven. He was over it. I believe he was over all the music. He knows exactly what kind of music could ruin and wreck your life. You need good godly music to listen to. You need good Bible reading. You need books that are good. You don't need to read all the trash that's on the market. You need to read good gospel books, good good fiction books that are godly centered and tell about Jesus Christ. We're bombarding our kids with trash and they're growing up garbage in and garbage out on the computer of their mind. It's sad. All I'm saying is this and I'm through. If we're going to live for Jesus Christ, we need to realize He's the excellent one and I'll talk more about that perhaps at another time. But He is excellent. Psalms 8, 1 and 9. His name is excellent. And because of that, He's worthy of all the praise and honor. I hate the devil. I hope that the devil one day will get his. Did you know one day the devil will be thrown in the lake of fire? Let's just say hallelujah right there. He's given me a lot of trouble over these years. And one day, I don't have to do that. I mean, vengeance belongs to God. I will repay. God will throw him in the pit of hell along with the false prophet and the, and the, danger, the angels of the deep and the imps of hell will burn forever. And they've got their place. And the devil knows that. He realized probably more and more his time's running out. So he's going to do all the havoc and all the problems he can before the end of his journey ends in the lake of fire. He shall be cast into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for victory that's ours. Let's stand.